We interrupt this introduction music to use the power of sales and marketing to tug at your heartstrings. Hi, Herd Mentalists. Thanks for listening in. I'm kicking off the show today with a plea, and with your support, I can make this a one-time plea before we get into the fun stuff. Each episode takes roughly two hours to record, and, well, today's show took a total of nine and a half hours, spread over about three or four days, to edit and upload, which is a big job removing ums and ahs and so forth. This doesn't account for the time I spend promoting the show, which is hours in itself, researching topics, sourcing guests, and dealing with time zones... Put it in perspective, each $2 a month you donate to helping me is $1.62 after PayPal takes a slice. So I need big numbers of humans, each donating a small amount. In the last month, recurring donations are at a grand total of $167. The first $90 of which goes to hosting the files, and 10% of which I donate to Kiva.org. I think it's really important with what I'm doing to donate to those less fortunate than me, and I'm specifically donating to women in developing countries to lift their education. To date, for 18 episodes of the show, it's earned almost two-thirds of a bowl of dirt and I'm exceedingly grateful to the donors so far because it's two-thirds of a bowl of dirt that I didn't have a month ago. I know who you are and I thank you very much. The recurring monthly payments are the best way to help me produce the show as it's something that I can budget for each month. I see significantly more out of a $5 recurring donation, which is $4.53 to be exact. While this helps me a lot more, you're actually helping yourself with Herd Mentality Afterlife Insurance to cover your chariot in case of breakdown or windscreen damage. A ridiculous $10 a month will net you a guaranteed ironclad, rock-solid 647.9 virgins when you reach your desired fictional sky haven. To help me out making this podcast a sustainable endeavour, the amazing at Dominic VFX, whose tip jar is available at herdmentalitypodcast.com, has put up a target on the website, and all ongoing donors will have their abbreviated name put in the slider bar at the top of each page as proof of how ungodly they really are. Briefly, once we hit this target, it will allow me to develop more material for the show, such as a comic series featuring my second-rate cow scribblings and terrible gags, as well as a book I've begun scheming on how to sell something that doesn't exist. My background is in sales and marketing, so I feel I have something to say on the issue. All monthly tithers will receive a free copy of the book in ebook form once it's completed, as thanks for making it all happen and helping me pay some bills along the way. The show is a big job, and as you'll hear from what you're about to listen to, things have been rather emotionally taxing of late, so as such, I'm taking the first holiday I've had in almost two years, two weeks camping, I'll be fishing and drafting a book. I'll make some big decisions about how much time I can then dedicate to the project moving forward once I get back. So please help me reach the target, which will in turn help me help others in the atheist community. I appreciate your generosity almost as much as I'm sure you'll appreciate the virgins. Finally, if you'd like to come on the show, please visit the contact page after you finish donating and fill out your name and email with a description of a topic you'd like to discuss. I can then match you up with other herd mentalists and make for a better program. So now back to the show and thanks again. Welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast, an eclectic weekly mix of atheistic and humanistic conversations with complete strangers. I've never met them and they've never met me, but we're throwing caution to the wind, taking a risk with a dodgy internet connection and, God willing, get an interesting conversation for you to listen to. I'm your host, Adam Reeks, and it's time to meet our guests. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Herd Mentality Podcast. With me today, I have Jake Farr-Wharton from a far better podcast than my own. Jake, hello. Hello, what a joke. 
<laughs> uh, all things are, what's your show? All things are relative when it when it comes to uh, podcasting. Uh, my show is the uh, Imaginary Friends Show dot com podcast, the one true podcast on many things. I've been on there. You have too. much to the detriment of the podcast. Indeed. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. had you on now to to lift the caliber of this show. So I've I've actually met you before. So this is one of those podcasts where I'm really going against the grain of, of the very essence of the herd mentality podcast. Because not only have I at least met you over Skype, Jake, but uh, with us today we have Dr. Dave Hawks. Hello, Dave. G'day, how are you going? I'm very well. I've had a couple of beers and you have as well. Yeah, it's it's really quite weird doing that. This is, I think, the third time I've been on the show. The fact that uh, I'm sitting about two foot away from you. I know, we're both huddled over (laughs) over a laptop in my lounge room, over a laptop that's making far too much noise with the the tiny little uh, iPod headphones. (laughs) So we're really podcasting on a shoestring. Can I I tell you, though, listeners, I can see them in the video. They look adorable together. It's a a bit fabulous on this end. You're looking very muscled, Jake. I I, I actually look that way all of the time. (laughs) It's just. uh, You've got your wife beater on. Got my wife beater on. It's actually extraordinarily hot up here. You know, I I miss winter, that one day of the year in Queensland that we have, (laughs) which is, which is slightly cool, uh, which was, uh, two weeks ago. But yeah, we haven't seen a skerrick of coolness in, uh, in some time. And as I said, it's quite hot. So yes, the wife beater is, uh, a necessity. It's basically the Queensland <laughs> version of the tuxedo. Right. right the banana bender's tuxedo. Mm. All right. So if anyone is playing along at home, it's at Jake Far F A W R dash W H A R T O N on Twitter. There's no hyphen on the Twitter one. At, see, I always get the Twitter handles wrong for the podcast. That's that's the sort of show I run. It's very B grade. And Dave Hawks is at Mr. Hawks, and I'm at Adam Reese. But I'm guessing if anyone who's Unfortunate enough to be listening to this probably already follows me. So today we're going to talk about something sad. Fortunately, it's not going to be uh, the usual giggles that we have on the show, having really entertaining people on and chatting about the lighter things in life. We've I, got. I think um, you're overestimating the amount of giggles you normally get. Mate. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might be right. I'm, I did uh, on the last podcast. I shoehorned in the clip of my stand-up comedy, the one and only time I've done stand-up comedy. And I did a course, a stand-up comedy course, and they said, um, "What you're aiming for is high JPMs, so high jokes per minute." And it's it's not a strategy that I've applied to. <laughs> Mentality podcasts. Well, your stand-up you was course. really good. It was really funny. <laughs> oh, thank yeah. you, Jake. I, enjoy, I, I enjoyed it. I, uh, I I did my own stand-up at the beginning of this year, but I did it as a scientist, so we didn't have very much training at all. That. Apart from they said, you know, if you want to if you want to be sweary or whatever, go for it. You know, really push those boundaries. So I think I've dropped two swear words in an eight-minute set, Kick. and uh, we we had complaints. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, they we had complaints because they made the great assumption of the institute where I work. For is, is quite innovative and it's, it's really great to be a part of the flurry but they invited a lot of their sort of their, their elderly their, their more stoyed sponsors to this stand-up comedy which was just not a fantastic idea and so they spent the next week writing apologetic <laughs> letters to uh, to retired uh, sponsors of the flurry apologizing for my language That's awesome well there you go so yeah dave's flown up from melbourne so i this is actually the second time we've met. We ran into each other a couple of weeks ago in Sydney and had a beer. And now so, you're in Sydney having yeah, another so beer. <laughs> another beer, but he's, uh, Dave's come over to Chateau ah, Riarcus, fine establishment here. Opposite Target. Yeah, <laughs> if uh, not far from Target. <laughs> if secular bloke is listening in, he probably isn't. But uh, we're drinking James Guire the Chancer Golden Ale. It's a fine drop. 
but we're drinking it out of a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're not here to talk uh, terps. We're here to talk emotions and, and get all our man feelings out on out into the open. So you guys know a lot more about this stuff than I do, but I'll give you a little bit of a backstory. Many, many moons ago, I used to run a sales and marketing business and everything was going beautifully and then... Ah, some Americans sold some stuff or bought some stuff. China got sold and Russia got bought. And anyway, the economy turned to rubbish. And I ended up having to make some really big decisions. And they were really tricky ones because I had four staff plus myself. So and a whole bunch of vehicles I was running. And the total business was turning over two and a half million dollars a year in sales. So it wasn't small. And it just basically hit the wall. And I had to make some really tough calls and dismiss some staff. And the subsequent months and, well, in fact, about 12 months following that, it was a really tough time for me. And I went and saw the doctor and had a chat to him about my man emotions. And I got diagnosed with severe depression. So I thought we'd get together, given that you guys know more about this stuff than I do, and maybe talk openly about it and find out how it works and what can be done to treat it and what, in fact, it is. So what what have I got, Jake? You know? <laughs> you mean apart from herpes? Apart from herpes. <laughs> can't wash no, those off. Oh, jeez, you can try, though. Try as you might. <laughs> if you listen carefully, you can just hear the sound of me shuffling along. <laughs> away. Away. Yeah, we've got a, yeah, Dave's enforcing his zero kisses policy, unfortunately. Don't you hate it when people have those? Far oh, out. No, we need a, we need a longer headphone. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know, what's happening with you? You're a human. That's that's what's happening with you. One of the most magical things that I've ever experienced in my life, much the same as, as you, is a severely detrimental period where I went through anxiety and, uh, and depression. Now, all things are, are relative when we talk about anxiety and depression. You know, your situation is your situation and the situation that you had uh, caused a neurological condition and, you know, you went through some rather serious symptoms uh, uh, as a consequence. My situation was different. But again, that's, uh, it's because all of these things, when it comes down to depression, anxiety, etc., it's all relative to the individual that you're talking about. So one of the first things that that you need to do, I suppose, is recognize that we're all human. We all have this biology that was shaped over hundreds of billions of years or rather that that was a that was a misspeak sorry over <laughs> over billions of years over hundreds of thousands of years on uh, you know in the at least a in dozen the african years. savannah we, we we are a slave to our biology it really only takes a small amount of stimulus to set off what is an otherwise very functional and very useful flight or fight reflex um, which will send adrenaline coursing through your body, you know, enabling you to uh, to to fight off an attacker or, or to run while you know your your calf has been severed because the tiger <laughs> has has swiped too close to you. The saber tooth rabbit. The saber tooth rabbit. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Jackalope. So we have within us, thanks to again hundreds of thousands of years, you know, honing these instincts, biological conditions that can be triggered by weird stimuli that is that is completely not associated with what it was what it um was selected for in the beginning you know right now i'm not in a savanna in the cape of africa right now i'm in a You're dressed for it <laughs> i certainly am <laughs> mind you the white skin does tend to burn 
Mm. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a brick house in Queensland, uh, in fairly temperate weather. And while, you know, things going bad in my life, <laughs> uh, which will certainly set off the flight or fight reflexes that will send adrenaline coursing through my body that will inhibit certain, uh, neurotransmitters in my brain from being uptaken or from, uh, being reuptaken, uh, in the brain to the proper degree or to the way that it should be in normal humans. While the conditions are not normal while they're not uh, you know what they were when they evolved we're still human we still have this biology we still all have flaws and we are all prone to these neurological conditions these uh, these depressive and anxious conditions um, mm. which can be set off with just such a small amount of stimulus. Uh, it doesn't take, it, yeah, it really doesn't take much. And over time I found that um, for no reason whatsoever, there might not even be any stimulus per se, but I'll find the heart just goes boom, 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 and all of a sudden goes out of control. So Dave, what I, are you? I might jump in here because, um, yeah, I'm a, apart from all my virus work, I'm actually a neuroscientist and I work on anxiety. I guess you're talking about this fight and flight. I, I think it's really interesting to know that we're talking about two different things. What we think of as fear and what we think of as anxiety. Now, they're actually two sides of the coin. And if you're talking technical fear, we call something learned and anxiety, we call it innate fear. Mm. And the difference is with fear, that's fight and flight. If you're standing in a, a bike path and a snake is in front of you, that's fear. Your blood pressure goes up, your heart rate goes up, you start sweating, your temperature changes your neural activity changes. When you run away, in Queensland you shoot it, uh, when, you, <laughs> when the snake ceases to be in your vicinity, then that dissipates. Your blood pressure goes down. Everything goes back to normal. You think about it and you kind of go, wow, I saw a snake today. That's, that's fear. And that's actually one condition. And that affects certain brain pathways. You've got the related one, which is anxiety, which is what you're talking about, Adam, mm. where anxiety is where you don't have a direct stimulus. So you could be worried about snakes and you're sitting in your lounge room talking at a podcast and you start thinking about snakes and then you, you get these, these responses of your body. Your, your brain activity changes, your blood pressure changes, uh, you get sweaty. And that's anxiety because there's no stimulus. There's nothing that you can move away from that will reduce this stress. And this is what we're talking about. We're talking about stress and we're talking about emotional stress. So Physical stress is when you run a marathon, you get sweaty and your brain waves change and your heart rate goes up and you can stop that by sitting down. Emotional stress, particularly things like anxiety, you can't really, there's no clear way to get away from it. And this is why it's actually, it affects so many people and it's quite mm. difficult to treat. Mm. And it was so new to me, given that I'd never experienced it before, I actually had a, an attack what I subsequently found out was a, a panic attack. I thought I was having a heart attack. I mm. called an ambulance. The ambulance came out here and they just sat me down and yeah, hooked me up to the machine and said, no, you're not going to die. You'll be fine. <laughs> and at that point, I went and spoke to the, the doctor and thought, okay, maybe it's time to be a man about it and <laughs> try and deal with it. And I'll, I'll speak pretty openly about it to anyone who'll listen. So that's why I kind of wanted to get you guys on so I could find can, out a little so can bit I, more about it myself. Can I ask you a question, Adam? Yeah, um, shoot. When, when you went, and I, I went through a similar type of thing, I, I uh, didn't call the, the ambulance, but it didn't make it you know, any less real. When I went to, to see the doctor and, and I was going through those sort of panic attack symptoms, uh, I asked the doctor for antidepressants and anti-anxiety medicine.
medication. And we went through the, the, the little questionnaire that they, they get you to, to, to the fill sad out. Test, the, the sad um, test. <laughs> this might not, not be an international thing. So it's what, um, something anxiety and depression, stress, anxiety and depression test. And they sort of basically you, gives you a rating out of, uh, whatever it is, a hundred or something, uh, of, of how depressed you are, how anxious you are, et cetera, how, how likely you are to walk away and top yourself, basically, because mm. they, they're obliged, obviously, to, t- to take care of you if, if you are. But I, I just wanted to ask you, because it seems to me that I've run into other people who had similar predilections. When you asked for the medication or when, when you um, were given the medication, did you feel as though it was cheating? In a way. See, I, I actually initially didn't want to take uh, the medication. I, I thought that would be option B. I wanted to try and deal with it in a way that, that didn't necessarily require me to, to go on to tablets. Everything's a drug. What matters is the dose. And then with every drug, there's a side effect. Yes. So the first step, I went and saw the, the shrink. I had a couple of chats with her. Yeah. And it got worse before it got better. Yeah. And when it began to get worse, and I went from being depressed to being severely depressed, was to go back to the doctor and, and say, look, it's it's now time to give the happy tablets a go. And the first one I, I went on, I couldn't tell you the name because they're very difficult to spell and I don't have a memory for such <laughs> things, but, but I called it Coxaflopin. <laughs> uh, so I wasn't particularly thrilled with that one, gave that a go for about, because you need to give it two or three weeks before it actually takes hold. And then when you decide to change it for whatever biological reasons that we won't elaborate upon right now. Um, <laughs> but you already uh, did. <laughs> I, I may have hinted at it somewhat. Uh, you need to take a break for for about four or five days and then you jump onto the next tablets. But the next tablets had a, a completely different side effect and that was that I would be absolutely exhausted all of the time. I'd wake up anywhere between two in the morning and five in the morning and be wide awake. Yep. It was a great time to do editing for the podcast. <laughs> I, I, there was just no background. I just could sit down, concentrate. The phones weren't ringing. No one was around. It was dead silent. It was yeah. just great. So it, as far as a lifestyle drug goes, it was actually quite <laughs> good. But in terms of being able to hold down a day job and be productive during the day, I'd sort of get to 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock midday and then just... Have to I'd crash. Be out. I'd, I'd be out for a couple of hours. Yeah. And then, again, I'd be in bed at 7, 8, 9 o'clock at night. So, yeah, we decided that one wasn't the way to go either. So... So you sort of went through uh, several drugs before you found one that worked? Well... One that didn't have so many side effects? I've been prescribed one and the doctor has given me the instructions that if you feel it's time to go back on them again, yeah. go on this one. And so perhaps, Dave, you might know a little bit more about this than I do. It's a, it's a drug that acts... Differently to the previous two, it uses... Um, SSRIs, is it? No. Diazepam uh, or... No, no, no. It wasn't It wasn't your standard antidepressant. It had to be taken three times a day, but he prescribed this knowing that it had no reported side effects. So it'd be like so, Pris- Pristique is, is one of those ones that sort of falls into the into the fewer side effects column, uh, the, mm, the it, selective wor- serotonin reuptake inhibitor? Could could be. Um, I could even go and get the prescription. And <laughs> tell you, I, I'm, I'm not. Look, I'm, I'm, I'm not on it. I've, I've subsequently decided that I'm doing quite reasonably without them. Oh, good on you. So, they, well, uh, that's that's fantastic. I, I did want to say though, the the reason why I asked the question, Adam, is is because I kind of went through uh, a very similar sort of thing. Uh, went to the doctor, said I need help. I need psychologist. Uh, really worst symptoms that I think I've ever gone through in my entire life need help get me to a psychologist now. So mm. I, I went through the shrink. I will forever remember her as pamphlet lady because uh, <laughs> basically I, I went two days in a row and both days 
I received, you know, basically a, a, an entire novel, uh, like a, a, a J.R.R. Tolkien-esque uh, novel full. Sounds, sounds like she moonlights at the election. And, uh, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Handing out the pamphlets as well. So it was ridiculous. So, so she'll be forever known as, uh, as Pamphlet Lady, as I said. But, yeah, I basically I didn't, I didn't uh, feel that I was getting the, the help from her and the symptoms were, much like you said, getting worse and worse. Um, mm. So at that stage, I said, I, I need help, I need drugs, took the drugs. But at that stage, I, I feel that I was so close and I, I certainly had uh, enough suicidal thoughts by then that I realized that if I didn't do something, that I was going to do something, if you know what I mean. Mm. So um, I, I decided to go for diazepam, uh, which is an anti-anxiety uh, medication, and Pristique, which is, a, as I said, the serotonin re-up, or selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which serotonin is a, actually, <laughs> Dr. Hawks would probably be able to tell yeah, us well, uh, a hell of a t- lot Talk more. us through it, Dave. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I'm not a pharmacologist, so in terms of, in terms of that, I've worked on diazepam a bit because... It's a drug that's um, delicious. So good. <laughs> I, I, I hope, I'm really hoping uh, I get this right. It's, it's Valium. Yeah, it is. That's, Di- that's- diazepam is Valium, and, and anything ending in PAM is essentially, it acts on a, a GABA receptor, and I won't go into it because partially I don't really know that much about <laughs> it. But what we use it for is because I was talking about anxiety and fear. That basically, fear your response to fear doesn't really get affected by anti-anxiety drugs, whereas your anxiety does. And in terms of the different drugs, what I'm doing, what the, the long ball of my research is that I work on a, a neuropeptide, which is a type of protein that's built in the brain. Neuropeptide means it's a small protein. And this is found in about, about 4,000 cells. So this is an animal brain, but very similar number in humans. There's about 100 billion brain cells. Well, Queenslanders, there's about... (laughs) (laughs) Just change it. (laughs) Sorry, I'm feeling quite parochial. I'm here in New South Wales. I'm trying to get into the the swing of it. Um, So it's a really tiny amount because the problems we get, you're talking about side effects. Any drug that has an effect can have a side effect. Whether, you know, it's getting the balance and side effects are side effects. You might take a drug that will, you know, help your depression and reduces your your drive to eat a little bit and you kind of go well i'm losing a bit of weight i'm feeling a bit better about myself that's a side effect but it's one you can live with you have a side effect that's let's just say uh, affects erection then that's probably not a side effect you can deal with but if you're 90 no we don't want that if you're 90 years old you probably go well i i can deal with that it's about balancing (laughs) those sorts of things and so we're looking at this relaxant three because we know it affects anxiety. This is I'm up in Sydney to present at a conference exactly this sort of stuff. Um, we know it affects eating disorders and sleeping disorders. And because it's only in so few cells, if we can actually work out, we, we obviously have to learn a lot more about it. We only discovered it about 10 years ago. We actually discovered it at the Flory as well. So giving a bit of a plug for some of the great research done down there. And if we can actually target that with a drug, it's going to affect less cells and therefore we should have less side effects. And that's, I mean, you guys have a much better idea than I do, but medications for, for anxiety and for depression and for most sort of psychological illnesses from schizophrenia on down are not fantastic at the moment. No, it's a, it's like um, trying to shoot a very accurately with a 12-gauge shotgun. Yeah, again, you, you guys both came up with exactly the same thing. It's like you... I wanted to maybe avoid medications, but then it's risk versus reward. You mm. kind of go, well, these are the side effects, but if I'm having suicidal tendencies, I can getting up at two o'clock in the morning is maybe something I can deal with for at least a period of time. And obviously, if you can be able to, and I'm not a psychologist, so 
please, no one listening take this as any sort of <laughs> That's right. He, he hasn't charged me for this session, so no. he's not a sucker. <laughs> no, you can tell me about your mother later and maybe we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get up a bill. And it's all about balance. And, and this is what makes it really hard because antibiotics, you tell someone they'll be on them for generally a week, two weeks, and then you're cured. Whereas if I, if I can just hijack this conversation for a minute, you were going back, Jake, you were still saying this is something that happens in your brain. And that's the thing, I'm, I'm from an outer suburbs of Melbourne, I'm from a place where, you know, men talked about their feelings, and it came down to is he should have kicked a goal, that stupid wanker. <laughs> and that was that was the emotional context to which I, and I suspect a lot of Australian males was brought up with. So depression was something about not being hard enough. But if you look at a brain of, of an animal, of a person that's, that's got anxiety or it's got depressive illness, there's, there's changes. You can identify them. If you get a series of brains and you look at them and like we have, a lot of people would be familiar with antioxidants, the stuff that dodgy healthcare practitioners try and sell you, but they're designed to take out Free radicals. Animals which have high level of anxiety have higher levels of free radicals. High free radicals affects your the aging of your brain and they affect your blood pressure. They, they can lead to more damage, cancers, all these sorts of things. So if you if you're actually anxious for long periods of time, even at low levels, this is actually that's the major risk of heart disease mm. or stroke. So these are actually biological. So we need more aspirin happening. for that. <laughs> yeah, I don't give me stuff. <laughs> but it's but the you also get as as um, one of the other chemicals that you or hormones that your body releases during times of anxiety and stress is cortisol, which has all sorts of um, organ-killing properties uh, associated with it. You know, it's fine in uh, sort of low doses, and it's there, it's omnipresent, basically. But uh, in high doses, it, it can really eat you away. It can really hurt you. Absolutely. I mean, the thing is, uh, for anyone listening, again, this is just a little bit of science tidbit, a hormone is anything that's produced in one area of the body and gets shipped to another area. So if anyone's ever wondering what a hormone is, well, that's what it is. It's like uh, angiotensin, something I've worked on, which angio, heart, tensin, uh, tension, so, so affects your blood pressure. It's produced in the kidney, it's packaged in, it's processed in the lung, but it goes around your entire body, including your brain, testosterone, estrogen, obviously hormones. But our bodies are a balance and there's no clear, you can't say, oh, we'll stop doing this because if it's happening in your body, it's happening for a reason. Mm. It, sometimes sometimes it goes, it's convoluted. Well, sometimes, <laughs> you know, eating, you know, drinking water, drinking two litres of water a day is good. Drinking 10 litres of water a day is bad and drinking no water at all a day is bad. It's it's about balance and so there are no clear things. And as you said, it, it depends on the individual and it depends on the situation and your situation now is going to be different your situation in 12 months. Mm. So what are the uh, are there any issues with drinking say a bucket of beer? None at all. <laughs> in fact, uh, I'm a testament to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean the the problem the the major health issue and the sort of the, the issue with depression and anxiety with drinking a bucket of beer is that last bit just smacks you in the face. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not a good look. No, that's that's true. But alcohol is alcohol is a depressant. depressant. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> alcohol is a depressant and yeah, so if if you are having difficulties and you are drinking quite a lot, then uh, maybe give it a break. Back it off a little bit. But also yeah. withdrawal from alcohol is quite harsh as well. <laughs> yeah, that's what that, that's why I was it's suggesting it. Back, back it off. off a little bit. <laughs> yeah, so the uh, the antidepressant and, and anxiety med- medication was um, was for well for me at least and I know for a lot of people that I've spoken to since going through this, it was the start basically. It was what I needed in order to be able to access normal life or, or some semblance of normal life and, and you know during the next few months weeks and months really I went through um, several different psychologists until I found really two 
at the same time that uh, wouldn't give me pamphlets. One to hold you down, yeah, the other one to yell at you. <laughs> but they were, I'm up. They were fantastic. So one of them actually taught me um, what I now use daily, which I had done in my distant past but hadn't done for such a long time, which was meditation. And uh, the meditation was what I needed. See, a, a lot of the a lot of the times, and Adam, you might be able to back me up with um, the, the symptoms themselves, is a lot of the time when an anxiety attack or a panic attack sets in, you've got this initial little bit of stimulus, whatever it happens to be, that starts it off. And then the ball rolls. And then the ball rolls. And then it gets bigger and it snowballs. And then and it's so big that it crushes you. And then et cetera, et cetera. And then, it, then it's tears before bedtime. <laughs> and then it's tears <laughs> in bedtime. And then the bed's wet. But, yeah. uh, and it's not from the tears. It's from sweat. Just to be clear. Just, it was just from the sweat. <laughs> just, it was a sweat. <laughs> so a lot of the time, the meditation, for me at least, it's not the same for everybody. Uh, same as the medication. It's not the same for everybody. It doesn't work in the same way with everybody. The side effects are different with everybody. With meditation, for me, what it helped me do was to put my mind in the moment to get rid of the peripheral feelings, thoughts, cascade of emotions, the roller coasters, all of that stuff, and just focus on the tension in you know specific muscles, Mm. the the, you know a single bead of sweat that was rolling down my forehead. It just basically it gets you to to think right there in the here and now, and then. Of course, secondary to that is is the exercise. The exercise mm. is is so important, well, which that's is why. Off, yeah, well, as <laughs> as you pointed out, yes, it's it's paying <laughs> off quite well. But funnily enough, when I went through the uh, ang- anxiety episode, the uh, I went through an entire week of well, it was more than a week. It was about two weeks of nonstop panic attack and ang- anxiety attacks. Mm. Uh, it did not let up at all during that week. I I didn't eat. Um, I barely slept. I went prematurely grey. I uh, lost all my leg hair in a fit of shaving. <laughs> 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 I can't even explain it. Okay, so that's no, no. um. All right, what? well, that, we'll might keep that as bonus material for the show. Yeah, it was just really, yeah. really weird. I, I don't know. Some what? people shave their beard. Some people shave their legs. <laughs> there you go. During that time, I I, I dropped uh, over twelve kilos. It just went off me. So there was a benefit. <laughs> that's a lot yeah. of leg hair. <laughs> that's a lot of leg hair to well, lose. Well, I, I am kilos. Italian. So, yes. Wow. Um, yeah, I guess one of the things you talk about meditation, and I, I've had, I've sort of spoken to a few people just out of interest on this topic, and uh, there's there's a lot of things you can get on YouTube, and there's there's one called effective meditation. It's like attention training, and, and a lot of people Cosmic with anxiety. No, it is not <laughs> consciousness. So, I can hear you, dude. Like seriously. Um, and so, and that, and the idea is that it's about a 10 minute YouTube thing and it just gets you to listen to sounds because the idea and exactly what you describe is there's one thing that sort of works as a trigger and then it steamrolls. And the idea of meditation or of attention training is so that you can have those trigger thoughts and you can kind of go, all right, let's just pick one of the most common. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get fired from my job or my girlfriend or boyfriend is going to dump me. Just pick girlfriend's going to dump me. My girlfriend's going to dump me. And that's a thought. That's going to pop in your head. There's nothing you can do about that. What will happen when you're in an anxiety or a panic or a depressive state? And in very broad brushstrokes is that you'll you'll latch onto that. Mm -hmm. And then you'll start mulling it over and you'll start chewing it over. And then you'll just start analyzing. And and all these things will steamroll. And so this meditation or attention training, the idea behind it is that you kind of go, oh, my girlfriend's going to dump me. You kind of go, well, we've been together for two years. Things are Probably really time good. for a new one. <laughs> <laughs> Not <laughs> helping. 
start hurting. <laughs> um, so, so what it means is that you get, you get your girlfriend, you kind of go, oh, my girlfriend's going to leave me. You go, well, and you sort of step back and you go, well, no, we, we went out for a great dinner. We're, we're looking at houses together. Actually, you know, if I look at this and I analyze it, well, no, that's, that's not likely to happen. And you put it away and then you don't latch onto it. And this is, this is the goal of your meditation or of your attention training. So when those thoughts pop in, you think about it, you look at it and you spend the same amount of time you do when you get a water bill. Kind of go, okay, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I've got some money in my bank account. Yeah, I'll pay it. That's good. I'll just drop it and leave it at the front door and won't think about it again until the next one pops into your letterbox. <laughs> yeah, look, the the shrink I went and spoke to gave me a, a piece of paper and... Just with, one, though, no, just columns. one? Oh. Just one shrink. No, yeah, no, I'm I meant rich, one... Jake. I'm, I meant I'm one, not from a mining one sheet state. of paper. Sorry, I wasn't referring to the number of shrinks. <laughs> she had on the on the thing three columns, I think, from memory. It was a while ago. She said, what's, what's going on in your mind? Now, if you were somebody else looking in at the situation, is that justified? Is it warranted? Is what you're actually thinking a reality? Wow. And That's an interesting question, then, hey? And then uh, I can't remember what the third column was for. It was probably just had a big text, don't, don't step in front of a bus. <laughs> it's all going to be okay. Don't panic. <laughs> it was um, a very good way of looking at things and going, well, you know what? I'm, I'm actually not worthless. I, the short story is it was a good way of getting back on track, keeping some focus. And- that's that's yes. a really interesting one. I, I love the I love the idea. I mean, the the funny thing is about going to because uh, as I mentioned, I, I went through uh, a couple of different psychologists to really find a couple that um, that were good. One of them was provided by my work, and the other one was provided by Medicare. Because in Australia, you're uh, allowed to ex- access under the previous government, at least, uh, up to twelve. Uh, psychology uh, sessions in a in a given year, or it might be a, actually six. Sorry, uh, I think it's six. Six yeah. psychology sessions or six psychologist sessions in a in a given calendar year. So I, I did go through quite a few before I found the ones that worked. However, throughout the meetings with the other psychologists, you do pick up things like that. That like that question right there. How would somebody else deal with? Uh, this situation that is a brilliant question that is a really mm. fantastic question and, and a, a really great one to to ponder I think because you, you you're forced to be objective that's that's right when which is the, which is the great problem when you go through the anxiety attacks as sort of you said dr. Hawks when the steamroller starts your brain will create uh, all sorts of fantasies or rather you will create all sorts of fantasies attached to the scenario that start that triggers things and uh, you know you'll you'll go on a, a great big emotional roller coaster ride but uh, those it's those sorts of little tidbits those sorts of throwaway questions that can really rock your brain and uh, and jolt things back into where they should mm. be. Go on, Dave. I guess the other thing I think is worth mentioning here as well is that you're talking about how would someone else view this and things like that. And I did a PhD. That's that's where the doctor title comes from. And people who do PhDs, pretty close to 100% during that three or four year period that you're doing your PhD will suffer from depression or anxiety and in scientists we are in eminently rational we are very good at working things out we are very good at researching but anxiety and depression do not respect that and i've you know i've i'm certainly i was one of that nearly 100 percent of people that suffered from sort of anxiety and i've certainly suffered from anxiety episodes since then and i don't talk about it a hell of a lot because it's it's part of what i imagine makes me human and it's certainly i've rarely come across anybody who's who's not had it they may not have identified it as such they may have not got treatment they may have self-medicated all these different bits and pieces but it, it is part of 
you know, the reality that we... I'm sorry, I'm being stalked by a cat. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the cat's I'm, I'm being stalked by a French cat, and, um, yeah, this is just its quite <laughs> surreal while trying to hold your train of thought. So I, I guess that's the thing. It's like all these different points, all these different... You, you're talking about different psychologists and different psychiatrists. These people might not work for you, but they've got a job because they work for somebody. Yes. And if you do not find that seeing somebody or taking medication works for you, this is not antibiotics. This is not one-stop, one-treatment. There is a variety of things. If meditation works for you, that's great. If getting out and running at 5 o'clock in the morning works for you, that's great. Whatever you can do. Doing a podcast. Doing a podcast. (laughs) Writing a blog. Whatever it is that helps you to get through the day. As long as it doesn't hurt anyone and it's not detrimental to yourself either, then I think that there's a thousand different ways that anxiety Mm. and depression are caused and there's just as many ways to treat it and it just depends on the individual. I, I've worked in infectious diseases, and infectious diseases are pretty uniform. If you get the flu, I can probably take a general stab at what sort of symptoms and how long it will last. Depressive and anxiety illnesses are completely different. Yeah, mm. absolutely. One of the things I wanted to quiz you about, because when I went in and got diagnosed, it became more apparent that I actually had a very long family history of this. So it's a genetic trait that's part and parcel with who I am. It's just a case of now that it's presented itself, dealing with it. But uh, I'm one of the fortunate members of my family in that it's probably the least... I'm, a, I'm least affected by depression in my immediate family. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you in terms of genetic, certainly, you've also got to think about this is one of those nature and nurture. If you're brought up in a, in a house, in a family with, with mental illness, it's it's going to affect your your development. Now, I don't know your particular case, but I, I certainly, um, you know, I, I come from a family, again, we've, we've got a couple of incidents of quite severe mental illness in the family, mm. and I think most people, if you actually mm. look into it, will. Now, if you have an aunt who lives across the sea that you've never said who, who has really horrendous mental health illness, it doesn't necessarily mean you'll have any. It's, it's a different upbringing. If it's a parent, if you've been brought up with a parent who's suffering from mental illness, even if you, you've not inherited any any of that genetic background, it's going to affect you. And these are both these things. So if, if you come from a family with no history of mental health at all, ever, it doesn't mean that you, you can't get mm. it. It's, it's a really sort of, it sounds like I'm blurring everything up, but it's just, <laughs> the, the point <laughs> is, so you're reciting a, a Freud textbook at the moment. It makes a bit <laughs> as much sense. Right, can you just pass me that banana? <laughs> uh, as my, <laughs> that's nice. As my uh, biology 101 teacher said uh, many years ago, if there's ever a question of whether a trait is nurture or nature, the answer is always yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it makes sense. So we're fortunate to live in a country, as you said, Jake, we've had a recently enacted mental health act that allows people to go and visit the quack and talk about your man feelings. In other countries where people may not be so fortunate, what's the next best option? Well, there's, uh, well the great thing is that most countries have helplines, uh, things like suicide side helplines like um, yeah, Lifeline, <laughs> Beyond Blue. Kids we we have Beyond Blue in Australia, which mm. is really good. There's always the, the child children crisis lines as well, things like that. But there is also uh, psychologists that you can access for a fee if, you're, if your country doesn't provide um, such a service. And just um, a, a little point there, anyone who follows at Joshua Dammit, he regularly retweets the links to Lifeline and so forth in the States where people can call up and get free mental health advice because mm. he's a, a victim. <laughs> he came on the show and he, he's had a really rough gig. And PTSD, he, he served overseas in the in the military and he has first-hand experience in mm. 
in this. So, yeah, getting on the phone to somebody would help. And I might also just throw in that um, a few weeks ago I was contacted by somebody in a country name. I won't pinpoint them, but they were in a position where they were... Does it rhyme with Splaran? Uh, no, but it will... Splara? <laughs> Let's say it's in the vicinity. And uh, this particular person was really at the end of their tether. And the only person that they were able to contact happened to be me on the other end of Skype. So I picked it up and it was a real shock for me to taking that call. And But I sat there, I listened and I'd never met this person in my entire life, but I sat there and listened and I think it made all the difference. And that person's subsequently gone on and been put in touch with a few other people who were in a similar situation and, and they found their support network. So I think the first step for anyone would just be to speak about it. It doesn't matter with whom. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we've just we've just had Are You OK Day, which is not rock. Um, it's, <laughs> it's just asking the questions all of these things are, are cyclical so if you see that someone's having they're having a, a rough time and it could be and i mean the problem with a lot of depression and anxiety is it doesn't happen when you're about to lose your girlfriend or about to lose your job it could be when you've just been promoted we're about to have a baby in about two months and so again this is the depressive illness of, you and adam sorry yes yes you and uh, adam are about to have a baby yes um it, it, it will be uh, I thought you looked cute together I must say yeah, it's going to be called rocks <laughs> and, uh, it, it's often good things that can sort of throw us out of whack so you know having a baby mm. buying a house these things are actually positive but they can they can sort of trigger these episodes well, hang on, there's, so. there's buying the house there's also realising that it's the bank buying your house for you the, the significant debt <laughs> yeah, uh, well, yeah but, but again so. still you, you generally say buying a house is something that people congratulate you mm. when you buy a house. People congratulate you when you, you're about to get mm. married. And if anyone's ever got married, seriously, one of the most stressful times in your life. But it's a, it's a positive thing. And having a baby is a positive, but again, you're, you're looking mm. at stress. And so just when, when someone looks like they're having a bit of a rough time, if you just, as Adam did, you ask just them if they're okay. Ask them if they're okay. Take them out for a, a coffee or, or a beer or, or whatever it is. And just, you know, I had a friend who was, you know, he'd had a rough time and he, we actually drove up to Sydney for a party and he spent an afternoon. We were just sort of hanging out at the Sydney Zoo and he was watching seals. And we spent a good three hours watching the seals and just talking crap. And a couple of years Probably later, he's watching seal. I mean, that'd be yeah. enough to push people over the edge, wouldn't it? Yeah, that fingernail thing I don't <laughs> really get. Um, but. And that for him was, that was enough. He wasn't, it wasn't a severe thing, but just, just having a bit of a chat and in an environment where you know, he was felt really comfortable. And that, that's all, mm. that's all he needed. Sometimes that, that's all anyone needs. And can I just say that that's, that's really beautiful. And the, the great issue I think in our society as Australians is, I think, and, and I'm sure that a lot of other countries can relate is that we as men, are sometimes called upon to be the uh, the bastions of of masculinity, and and part of that is the mentality that we're not supposed to share perhaps all of our feelings. And one of the greatest issues with that is that when people go through a depressive episode or an anxious episode, they may not know where to turn. They may think, in fact, that they are completely alone, some, and that that can be exacerbated by those uh, by the by the there's feelings. Some there's some clever themselves. advertising on I've seen on, on the internet at the moment. A guy called uh, Doctor Brian Ironwood. Have you seen those? They're rather amusing not. character who it's all very tongue in cheek, and this this guy is basically all about being masculine, but talking about your man feelings. Uh, so Dr. Brian Ironwood, if you bung that into Google, I 
think you'll find that's man therapy man therapy.com.au <laughs> man therapy i love yeah, it man therapy.org.au so and i'm pretty sure you'll be able to access that from anywhere in the world so if you're feeling like you mm. need some man therapy, speak to a friend or jump on the website and speak There's to a good Dr. Place. Brian Ironwood because it looks like he knows his way around therapy. You, you're totally right, though, uh, Dr. Hawks. You know, the premise that if you have a friend and they look like they need a bit of a hand, take on board your obligation as a friend and, and ask them if they're okay. Take them out to the to the local uh, water park or, or something like that. Do something with them. Just, just hang out for a little bit because it, it can sometimes just be all that they need in order to trigger the right chemical symptoms to, to, to get things back into order. And the other thing that I did want to say, just about taking the medication, I now, after going through these depressive and, and, uh, and anxious episodes, have been sort of pushed to, to reevaluate how I look at us how I look at myself, and at least when I'm thinking of depression and anxiety, I, I, I'm looking at myself as a bag of mm. chemicals, you know, as, as a great big bag of elements and chemicals and hormones and et cetera. And if, you know, one or two of those chemicals are being absorbed into the body in, in a, a particularly hazardous way, and there's a medication that I can take to correct that, you know, the way that the, one of those chemicals or one of those hormones or et cetera is being absorbed into my body in order to, you know, correct that, then taking the medication, uh, as I said sort of in, in the beginning, I, I did kind of feel like I was mm. cheating when I, when I took I did, the medication. I did too, in the even beginning. though I, I really tried to keep an open mind about it. I thought, look, mm. this is, I don't want this to be the coward's way out. I think this, mm. Have to look at the the end game. The end game is getting better. Yeah, yeah. Well, having so I'm sorry to interrupt you, there, Adam, but having having that mentality though of of looking at the body as sort of that bag of chemicals. If you can take that medication and it writes the symptoms, wow. I mean, how powerful yeah, it's, is it's, that? It's no, it's no different to any other medication. I mean, people wouldn't get embarrassed about going to the doctor to get. Um, ventolin, ventolin, insulin. The thing is, and and I guess I, I look at it from a, a scientific or, or in some ways a medical view. Is like I had a knee reconstruction a few years ago. This, I had to do something quite. You know, I, I don't look forward to surgery, but that's what I had to do to fix myself. So I had the surgery, and then I had painkillers, and then I also did physical therapy to do everything, and it got me back to a point where I can run, I can do anything with my knee. This is absolutely exactly the same thing with your brain because sometimes you have to sort of take medications or, or do something invasive, which is, you know, a medication is invasive, and then you have to do your rehab, which is your meditation or you're going for your run or, or whatever you need to do and adopt that sort of holistic approach to drinking less, all those sorts of things to fix what is essentially you've, you've you know, you pull the hamstring in your brain and you just need to sort of do what you need to do. And, mm. you know, it might be one of those injuries that reoccurs every so often. But, you know, once you know how to, to get it to a point where you can use your brain fully again mm. and everything's working right. It's then, a great analogy. Hmm. The hamstring in the brain. I like <laughs> you pull the one. hamstring in your brain. <laughs> use that. I'll have to <laughs> that'll, that'll take be a couple of hamstring title. tablets. <laughs> <laughs> I like, I just, I'm not. I'm not that bright with a lot of things, so I just put everything in analogies, but <laughs> you, you wouldn't hesitate in doing it for a physical injury. Hmm. So why is it like you're just looking at a brain, which again is a bunch of cells and something's gone a bit wrong and you need to fix it. And it's actually less invasive, you know, to take a medication than it is to have someone drill into the bone of your knee. Hmm. But no one would bat an eyelid about doing that. Hmm. There's nothing like a good arthroscopy and lavage. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know that. So the, we've gone, we've gone almost an hour, guys. And we haven't mentioned God once. So <laughs> well, do we just want to slip, oh. slip in a quick God? Have you seen God today, Dave? No, but I, I have heard a great. They've been doing some studies where they've uh, they've actually looked at uh, people who have heart attacks, and they did a study, and apparently, fifteen to eighteen percent of people who had heart attacks, when you actually stop the blood flow to the brain, those eighteen percent of people had had unusual brain activity, and they had near death experiences, and some of them reported seeing God. Do you think that's what's constantly happening to Ray Comfort? <laughs> Maybe he's on the wrong medication. Not, not enough, not enough blood to the brain. You're saying, Adam? Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not a doctor, <laughs> but I'm prepared to have a guess. <laughs> that's my diagnosis. You know, uh, it, it's funny. Uh, I, I did an episode on uh, for the Imaginary Friend Show. I did it, did one uh, some time ago on atheism and depression with an, an ex-pastor from the U.S. Uh, whose name escapes me at the moment. Floridan pastor. It's not the guy who's just got busted for having sex with young boys to prove to <laughs> stop them being homosexual. Yeah, which one is that? He's an, it's just being charged. Oh, okay. No, right. he's, a, he's an ex-pastor. <laughs> he was the first graduate of the uh, clergy project. Okay. I can't recall his name. But anyway, uh, yeah, so we did this, we did this episode uh, together on atheism and depression and, and we looked at uh, quite a bit of the research uh, to see whether there was in fact a, a corollary uh, between the two because they, they do seem to be intrinsic linked <laughs> for whatever reason. It, it appears that there is some research suggesting that uh, religious people do do better with anxiety and depression, with symptoms of anxiety and depression. However, that was linked to the reason that they, that they cited as them being better able to handle it is, is the community aspect. The yeah. fact that mm. they are so you know, intrinsically linked to, to a community. They've got their own Dr. Brian Ironwood. <laughs> That's exactly right. Who uh, was resurrected after three days, apparently. <laughs> All right. So is there anything, Dave, you'd like to add? No, I, I guess the only thing I'd like to add, as it's been repeated many times, is that uh, if anyone's listening to this, no matter what country you are in, um, there's a variety of websites. Um, there's things like Beyond Blue. Again, the Dr. Brian Ironwood Man Therapy and all these things are great starting points. Just Google it and, and maybe just have a bit of a read because sometimes... You know, different things work for different people depending on your cultural context and mm. you know, your gender, all these different things. If there's something doesn't, you kind of go, well, I don't really want to take medication. As, as you guys have pointed out, this is not necessarily the first step, but there are other things. And the best thing you can do is start a conversation with a health professional and then just take it from there. And just by starting that conversation, if, if you're having these sorts of, sorts of issues, that's, you know, you, you can build that relationship. And so you can get to a point where if you feel you do need to go that next step they can actually they can guide you through it and it won't feel it won't be a caustic experience for you mm. and jake anything you'd like to throw in oh absolutely if you're going through these depressive anxious panic like symptoms then you need to know that it's because you're human you know you're an animal you're a mammal you're you're just like that everybody else hormones. You're, you're a bag of hormones and chemicals and et cetera. You're just like everybody else. I mean, you are not alone. And that's, that's the one message that I would like to, to give to anybody who experiences this awful, awful thing that we go through as humans, hmm. uh, as animals is that you are absolutely not alone. There are thousands upon thousands upon billions of us. Who go through the similar, similar or the same? Almost everybody will experience depression in their, yes, at in some their point life. in their life. Yeah. Absolutely. So don't, 
please, please don't be afraid to share it. You can gain so much by sharing, by seeking help, by relating your symptoms to somebody else. Because by coming on the herd mentality, by coming on the herd mentality <laughs> podcast, all you need to do is share. You know, share what you're going through, and I think you'll find that so many people just like you are going through the exact same thing in a different way, and can help you through it. You're not alone. All right, so Jake, your website I think is imaginaryfriendsshow.com. Correct. Dr. Dave, you've got, uh, you've got a little project coming up as well. Do you want to elaborate on that? Sure. As I said, uh, I work in neuroscience and I'm doing something a little bit different, trying to involve the community a little bit more and essentially I'm, I'm looking for your money. We're studying a crowdfunding project in the next couple of weeks called Name the Virus where people will be able to contribute. We're trying to raise $10,000. This will allow us to, to build about four little uh, special types of viruses called viral vectors, which are we can use them to understand how the brain works, how anxiety. Uh, we're also working on projects to do with stroke, multiple sclerosis, fear, a, a whole variety of things, um, epilepsy, and we can use them these little tools. So it's at Name the Virus One on Twitter or Name the Virus on Facebook, and it will start in a couple of weeks. And if you if you donate some money from twenty dollars, you'll get a shout out on our website, but you'll also get to contribute a name. The most popular name we'll call the People's Virus, and we'll we'll name one of the viruses after you. Uh, <laughs> if if you do have a bit of money or or. or no. no. Well, maybe. Yeah. Well, it's a, okay. If I give you, if, if, if I spot you ten grand, well, we'll you call don't it even the have, comfort. You virus. don't even need to have to spot me ten grand. Oh, Two thousand okay. five hundred dollars. Um, <laughs> you get to name a virus. Obviously, there's some conditions. You can't uh, do anything slanderous or, or outside social norms. Oh, that's but, yeah, me out. <laughs> I'll keep it to Twenty five hundred dollars, and and you'll get to name. So you could name it the herd mentality virus. Right. You could name it the imaginary friend. All those different things. I've also had the suggestion noodles, <laughs> uh, which which <laughs> noodles, does actually tickle noodles. So. This is something I'm doing. Um, if you, you just follow those two, uh, so name the virus one at Twitter or name the virus on Facebook, we'll try and keep information and also uh, give you a bit more information on exactly what these viruses are. Some of the stuff that I do as a scientist, like I've already said, that I'm on the Facebook that I'm up here in Sydney to uh, do a conference and jump on a work trip to try and see a football game. So, yeah, maybe gives people a bit of an insight into science. So even if you, you can't afford to donate, which is fine, you can follow those sorts of two two ways of getting information and give you an idea of uh, the life of a, a scientist in Australia. Brilliant. All right. Well, gentlemen, thank you very much for coming on the show. At Jake Far Wharton and at Mr. Hawks, and I'm at Adam Reeks. This has been the Herd Mentality Podcast, guys. Thanks for coming on. I'll see you on Twitter. Peace nice. out. Cheers. Crazy bonus material is a chat with Shane Greenup from Rebutter.com. As always, remember, the Herd Mentality bonus material is completely free. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Herd Mentality bonus material. And today, on the line from another country who was originally from this country but is now in another country, we have Shane. Hi, Shane. 
Hello, thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Where are you? So I'm in the UK at the moment, near Chelmsford in Essex. At the moment, I'm just over here working on Rebutter. I was introduced to you, not in fact, not through Twitter, which is my usual means of stalking people, uh, rather a, a mutual friend of ours who put us in touch and said, well, uh, Adam's a bit of an atheist nutbag. He might be worth putting in touch with you. So that's happened and we're on the line now. And you're, you're doing something called Rebutter. Tell me more about it. The idea for Rebutter struck me about two years ago when I was reading an article. The article in question actually happened to be about um, vaccination. They claimed the study showed that it was you know, caused more illness than it helped with and that sort of stuff. And the link to a study, and I went and had a look at the study, and the study was flawed in many ways, and I could see it quite clearly. People were sharing this article. I figured the easiest way to respond to it was to find a rebuttal. You know, someone who systematically worked through and explained why the arguments and claims in this article were wrong. And I wasted like two hours trying to find a rebuttal which someone had written already on the assumption that they had, unable to find one. And it just really struck me as an obvious thing the internet needs is a way to find these rebuttals, which which I know are written, because you know, if you spend enough time on the internet, you know what exists. Not everyone has a, a bullshit filter, do they? No. Or I think what often happens is people just already have their conclusions and and want to find evidence for them. It's funny you mention that. I, I was actually having a little bit of a back-and-forth debate with a family member, and I typically don't do this with people uh, with people I know firsthand because it usually ends in tears or bloodshed. But, yeah. <laughs> but in this particular instance, the, the, the family member was saying, I don't use a mobile phone because it cooks my brain. I don't have a microwave because it cooks my brain. These were things that Trizo might to sit them down and say, well, look, here's the difference between ionising radiation and non-ionising radiation. <laughs> it's not yeah. something that they want to hear. They've settled on their conclusion because, oh, I saw it on the internet. And yeah. had a tool such as Rebutter, and I'll get you to elaborate a little bit more on it, about it and how it works, but perhaps if that was integrated into people's day-to-day activities, they wouldn't arrive at conclusions quite so quickly, or they would at least arrive at more informed conclusions. Yeah, this is this is exactly my hope. There's this sort of two-tiered problem where once people have made up their minds, it's really hard to change them. On one hand, you know, people think rebuttal won't work because the people that need it won't use it. They don't care. They won't change their minds. It's a very shallow way of looking at it. Going, well, it won't work because I won't change their minds. But I'm less concerned about changing the minds of people that have up as much as I'm concerned about leveraging the people that have made up their minds because everyone's made up their minds on many things. Let's use those people to create this map of this discussion. Because the internet is a giant discussion. Everyone's arguing their p- perspectives and points of views. Usually let's, in let's make them, Yeah. Whatever way they're doing it, though, they're, they're expressing their opinions, and these opinions exist. We can ignore them and say, well, you know, you're an idiot because you disagree with me. Mm. Or we can engage in this discussion and use it so that the people, particularly just think of, you know, kids and teenagers growing up where the internet's a very present part of their life. Think of them growing up in a world where instead of being handed opinions, here, believe this, believe this, and slowly being brainwashed, (laughs) yeah, we can give them a world where it's here, believe this, and then when it's given to them in, in the form of a link, they go and look at it, and as they're looking at it, this thing pops up and says, but someone disagrees with it, check it out, you know, someone disagrees with it. And so instead of being immersed in one perspective at a time, you're actually being immersed in a discussion about the issue from opposing perspectives. So before they form the belief, they are given multiple perspectives. So teach... That's what excites me. the expression, uh, teach the controversy. The controversy? Yeah, that's, that is a... Um, well, yeah, though that phrase is about um, creationism and teachers, people trying to say that they should teach 
uh, the controversy between evolution and creationism is where that phrase comes mm. from. Interestingly enough, one of the best responses I've seen to you know the, the people in Kansas, I think it was, who, who tried to get warning labels put on science textbooks saying warning evolution is just a theory, um, which is that same sort of thing, teach the controversy, right? It's like, this is just a theory, watch out, be careful, don't believe. Best response I've ever heard to that was, it doesn't go far enough. The sticker should say, warning, everything is just a theory, question everything, because that's the reality of science. There's nothing in science is dogmatic. It has to be questioned. But the problem with the creation intelligent design movement is that they want to specially point out evolution as if it is somehow especially open to question mm. beyond all other science. And it is something that is often misinterpreted as uh, even the word theory, but there is a difference yeah. between theory and hypothesis, in, and certainly in terms of scientific jargon. Yeah, and more importantly, there's no, um, there is a difference, different type of meaning between the word theory and fact, and you can have a factual theory, and a lot of people don't understand that, and that's the hardest one to communicate. Yeah. There's a great, a great paper by um, punctuated equilibrium biologist wrote a great um, paper called Evolution is Fact and Theory. Stephen Jay? Yeah. Yes, that's the one. Stephen Jay Good. Thank you. Well, thank you, Google. I could, I could have rebutted that uh, because I, in fact, have the little app installed in Chrome. So tell us about that. Yeah, that's right. I hadn't actually explained how it works. I've been talking about it as if uh, everyone knew. Um, Try and keep up, so, listeners. So, yeah. So the original idea, of course, is I'm looking at an article and I knew that rebuttals existed to it. I just couldn't find them. So the idea is simply, well, why isn't there a way to look at a page and go, show me a list of all the rebuttals to this page? So that's what we've tried to develop with Rebutter. We can't automatically find the rebuttals there. There's, there's no way to identify whether a page rebuts another. There's no programmatic way that it's achieved yet. That'd be, that'd be a massive, so we, uh, yeah, that'd be a massive spider bot trawling the internet. A, a spider bot alone wouldn't work because programmatically we can't determine yeah, in the intention. context of the... We don't know what an author's... Yeah, so we crowdsource it. So all of our users, whenever you read a rebuttal, you know, you're reading a page and it says such and such is wrong because you just need to be, you know, with our human intelligence, not programmatic, aware that, oh, this looks like a rebuttal. And then you can submit it to our system. And that way, when you identify that this is a rebuttal of that page, whenever anyone else in our system lands on that page, they get a pop-up that says someone disagrees with this page and they have access to that response. Okay, so for example, I, I'm going to jump over to the first one that comes up on your website uh, in terms of the a weblog. So there's a bloke here called Jeff Short, sounds like a lovely bloke, uh, written the weblog, uh, Why There Are Atheists. If I move my mouse cursor up to the little icon in the top right-hand corner of Chrome, it has a little icon there that says this page has one rebuttal and I can click on that and it'll take me to the uh, to the rebuttal to that web page. Yeah. How many rebuttals have you got? Is there? A, do you keep tabs on this? Yeah, um, we're about to reach... 5,000, I think. You're right. So that's, that's so far. We're still very young as well and still very um, small and growing. But you've attracted some pretty reasonable press too. Yeah, we've, we've got a little bit of press. Not very much press at all, really. We haven't been out looking for press. We've been following a very systematic growth pattern because we have a, a very strong chicken and egg issue where before we can get a lot of users, we need to have a lot of content. And before we can get the content, we need a lot of users. You and I are in the same boat. Yeah. <laughs> it's very common with these sorts of things. So we've been growing systematically, specifically by starting with the skeptic community and uh, the atheist community and the, you know, the humanist rationalist sort of movements because these communities basically identify as, particularly the skeptic community, this rational uh, scientific skepticism, questioning things. Is this real? Where's your evidence? And so, more often than not, they write rebuttals and write responses. And would this would this be useful for a theist? Yes, 
it will be useful for everyone of any belief. So everyone that has firm beliefs, which is every human on earth, the main motivation I believe for installing is to defend your position. So people will more often than not install it because they want people to know that they've got good arguments against their position. You know, whether it be that you want to present the arguments of intelligent design against evolution or defend evolution against intelligent design, that's a good motivator for installing Rebutta and adding those arguments. So we'll accept arguments for all, all perspectives because Rebutta doesn't take an opinion. We don't determine the, the right or the wrong. We just facilitate the ability to engage in the discussion. So basically, whatever position you're searching for, it will offer an alternative view. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So useful for theists. The two theists who listen to this, because I've only got four people who listen to my show. And two of them are theists. Uh, I'd, like, I'd like to think two of them are theists. Okay. <laughs> it's uh, useful for you guys as well. This, because it presents all sides, they will get as well, you know, the counter-argument, defending their position. But definitely the main strength is for everyone, you'll be able to get opinions which argue against what you believe. And that's never a bad thing. It doesn't matter how wrong it is. My favorite quote of all time is from Carl Fagan's Demon Haunted World, where he's actually paraphrasing John Stuart Mill. But the quote goes on the lines of, silencing an opinion is a peculiar evil, because if the opinion is right then we miss our opportunity of exchanging error for truth. And if it is wrong, then we miss our opportunity to see the collision between error and truth. And our understanding of the truth becomes pallid and lifeless to mangle the quote. And I think that, you know, when, when we encounter an argument which is wrong, it still sort of invigorates our understanding of the truth. And, and so I think there's a lot of power in that. It's pretty profound. Okay, so I've jumped onto my favorite font of all knowledge, conservopedia.com. Yes. There are a couple of articles from there in it. I'm trying to remember if it was evolution that I put in. Yeah, the issue with the root page, of course, is you need an argument against the whole website. Well, see, I'd be capable of doing that in one word. Yeah. Yes. So, so yeah, um, I don't think that would get past your filter. Conservapedia Evolution has has three rebuttals against it, and then they link to external sources. So it's nice being able to go to something that isn't on the same page. It just adds a, a little bit more credibility. But tell me, um, our mutual friend mentioned that you'd had something to do with Richard Dawkins or the Richard Dawkins Foundation. Yeah. So yeah, well, a bit over a year ago, I was at um, the Amazing Meeting in Las Vegas, um, a large skeptic convention, and the Richard Dawkins Foundation were present with a stall there and I got to meet you know the team behind the foundation and they loved Robotics straight away I'd, at the time we were still very uh, we were only about two or three months into development so we were still very young and still um, had a lot of work to get done so not much happened at that time but I went back this year and I actually went and stayed at the uh, head office of the foundation which is just a house in the woods and stayed there with um, the team for about a week and um, got to know them very well and talked more about what we're doing and what we're trying to achieve and what they're doing and have organized to develop uh, a website-based plugin for their website. Oh, wow. So people can go to the Richard Dawkins Foundation for Reason and Science and search directly from within that and have Rebutta have an, an effect on the outcome? Is that the, the gist of it? Uh, yeah, not so much with the searching, so much as just sort of integrating our database with their content. So whenever they write an article... If any of their links link to pages which are in our database, so either rebutted or rebutting, we will interact with that link in a way. So at the moment, um, we just pop up a little logo. It's not live yet, but this is what we've developed. It pops up a little logo which says, uh, which when you hover over the logo, it tell, tells you, you know, this link is rebutted three times or this link rebuts five pages. And if you click on that, it takes you to our link page, which 
you know, sort of our, our map of that, the context of that page within the greater internet discussion. So we're, we're developing that at the moment and we'll integrate that with their website when, you know, when it all comes together, basically. So you're growing quickly? Yeah. Um, the last few weeks have been fantastic for us. Um, we've been getting a lot of coverage through the Richard Dawkins Foundation. They've been writing about us a bit through Skeptic Magazine and Success on Reddit and various social media has been working very well for us. And uh, the last few weeks, we've grown by that 70% or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so for anyone listening and you're interested in how Rebutter works and think it would be useful to you in debating either theists or atheists or uh, other, jump on to rebutter.com. So that's www.rbutr.com. And you've got plugins available for, I know you've got one available for Chrome. Are there any others? Uh, we had just bug, we're bug checking Firefox extension right now. So hopefully within a week or two, we'll have Firefox. And then as soon as that's done, we'll be expanding to Internet Explorer and Safari. Oh, do you, no. Do you have to do... Oh. <laughs> it's, really? it's funny. No one ever asks for Internet Explorer. If I one person asks for it in the entire time we've been developing, it's just the, um, the the system we're using. Just between you and me, would an Internet Explorer user benefit from this? Do you I, I know. I know. This, this is like... I think the most common Internet Explorer user is actually someone in a cubicle and office where they've got no choice. But to use it, it's default installed. But there are there are people out there. I think um, you know, Internet Explorer eight or something like that did did bring it sort of up to date with the rest of the um, browsers. So I don't I don't know if the criticism is justified anymore or not. <laughs> I haven't used it, so I actually don't know. <laughs> well, you know, I actually use something far more obscure than that. I only have Chrome for a couple of sites that don't work well in Opera. Okay. And Opera's far more obscure. That only accounts for about 1.4% of the global internet. Traffic, yeah. But I find it to be quite good. Well, yeah, I, I actually do hope to expand the Opera as well, but of course it's going to have to be last for that very reason. Well, I'll be yeah, <laughs> distant 72 to, uh, to Internet Exploiter. Yeah. So what's your next step? The, the thing that I'm most excited about developing, and it sort of goes hand in hand with this website integration, is an iframed version. So the idea will be that you can link to an article which you want to show someone who's, who's rebutted is, is wrong, you can link directly to that erroneous article within a rebutter frame. And so it loads the page, it gives them the content that, that they want to see, but it gives it to them with this little frame at the top that says, you know, there are five rebuttals to this page. So the, the, the advantage of this is twofold. One, it frames the content cynically, uh, uh, skeptically. Like, here's the information that you believe, but it's wrong. But you're outnumbered 20 to 1. Yeah. Um, and it allows you to link the content without sort of giving it link juice. I don't know how much your, your uh, listeners are aware of search engine optimization practices and how the internet works. But whenever you link to content through Twitter, through Facebook, through any medium, if you link to that content, you effectively vote for it. You're telling the world that this this link is worth linking to. So it's um, actually quite important, you know, when you're having these discussions, and, and particularly in in the, the sort of global battles that we have with misinformation. You don't want to be giving misinformation any extra help. It's it's got enough, and and our job is to is to try and destroy misinformation because mm. it, it harms the human condition by by making people believe things which are demonstrably not true. So when you say misinformation, what you actually mean is Alex Jones. Yeah, I mean a lot of things. There's, there's a lot out there. Where if it's not outright lying, it's just a manipulation of, of information. Deliberately to, misleading, regardless. Yeah. I was really hoping that you are going to integrate it with Siri, so when the Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door, you can just whip out your iPhone and go to the Rebutter app. Just hand them the phone and let it read to them why yeah. they're wrong about 
well, everything, and go and make yourself a cup of tea. First step first, we build the system. Second step, <laughs> this is what's going to happen. Uh, right. I have no doubt. I have no doubt that, that when we, we reach this sort of critical mass that we need to, to build a, a whole data, you know, database map of the entire internet, I don't know if it'll be 5, 10 or 20 years, but we will have that sort of technology happening. So we won't, mm. So this is why it's actually very important because our current technology is this passive information delivery system where Google basically says, what is it that you want to believe? Here it is. Congratulations. You may now well, believe well, it, it and feel it justified. Even gives you the, it even gives you the, the preemptive suggestion as yeah. to what you might be searching for. Exactly. Because so, Google does a wonderful job of caching all sorts of stuff, so cookies and uh, your Gmail inbox and searching for common keywords and terms to advertise to you. Yeah, so you've got the filter so, bubble effect as well. That's the way it currently works. And as technology gets better, it's going to become more integrated into our lives. With you know, Google Glass being the first step, we're going to have, I don't know, contact lens-based interfaces with the world permanently connected to the Internet. And every time someone asks you a question... It'll pop into your head through the internet, whatever it may be, you know, as far as this technology is going to go. And do we want an internet which pops the first thing into your head is the thing that you already believe? You know, here you believe it some more. Here you have more evidence to argue your biased, gender-driven belief. Or do we want a system which says, here's what you believe, but here's the discussion. Here's why some people question it. Understand. Here's what normal people believe. Yeah, well... <laughs> or at least... Or at don't least overestimate normal you. people necessarily, though. Mm. Mm. I, yeah. <laughs> I saw a Lunig, a Lunig cartoon. Have you ever uh, heard of Lunig? Yes. Yeah, you probably would, seeing as you're, you're an Aussie. He, uh, and it had uh, just a, a single box cartoon and a picture of a child sitting on a milk crate in the middle of a large empty room and it said, The Convention for Normal Children. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was very... Yeah. So would you like to give us some details? Yeah, so you, as you said earlier, it's a very easy name to remember. R, but R... RBUTR.com and yeah, if you go to the website, everything everything you need is there, very accessible, immediately ready to go to install in Chrome, very soon available in Firefox, and on the home pages, you know, there's links to getting to know Rebutter, learn more about it, and frequently ask questions, and um, yeah, hopefully all of your questions can be answered there. Okay, I also noticed you had a Twitter account. Oh yes, I always forget about the social media stuff. Yeah, um, at Rebutter.com is is uh, at RBUTR.com. No. Because yeah, yeah. all four That's listeners of my show typically go and follow whoever comes on here, so you'll pick up at least four. I would, I would hope. Four, four new followers. I hope so. I'll, yeah. I'll, be, I'll be watching the ticket. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Please do follow us. We um we do tweet stuff. I, I forget to, to tell people about it, but I actually do use it. Um, we also have a Facebook page, which is just facebook.com/slash rebutter. Excellent. Well, you're doing a fine service for the atheist community, and we thank you for it. Thank you. Any final closing statements? Use your brother. Use your brother. Okay, we'll go with that. <laughs> in fact, I might even edit that just to pop it in right at the beginning. So it just <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a wonderful introduction. All right. Okay. Thanks a lot, Shane. Thank Take you care. so much, Adam.